Well, welcome. We've going to, we're jumping right into Corinthians, and uh, uh, buckle your seatbelt. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, for those of you who are online, and you can, you, you're, you're going to either hear it live as we are streaming live, and as uh, you can go back and get these podcasts. But I would encourage you to go back if you, if you miss something, go back and pick it up because this is some wonderful, wonderful things. And so, as we get into this uh, topic this morning, it's I uh, <clears throat> I was mentioning how the Lord really shared some things with me, uh, and. Sometimes I think that when you read the scripture of some Old Testament passage or some New Testament passage 2,000 years ago, you, you don't connect with it. And there are times when you just have to sit at the Lord's feet and listen and be in fellowship so that God does teach you and give you the wisdom because there's a lot of things that you initially would just scoot right over and this was a passage <clears throat> that I did. I scooted over until God brought me back. And so, but I was camping in this passage. And so, um, you're going to get a lot of a lot of thoughts today that are going to continue. You're going to hear them over and over again. So, if you don't get it today, if you can't remember everything today because we have an etch a sketch brain, you forget everything. Uh, God's going to bring it back because it is the Holy Spirit's work to guide us into the truth. So one way or the other, he's going to get you what you need to get, to say it in one way. So I've called this, uh, this message today, Sophomore Saints in the School of the Spirit. I was thinking about Sophia uh, all this morning because her name, Sophia, comes from that word, Sophia, uh, means lover of wisdom, but the idea of sophomores... Uh, you know what a sophomore is, right? What is a sophomore? Well, if you go to the high school, you've all been through that. So you go freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Where did that word come from? You know what sophomore means? What does sophomore mean? It's a popcorn question. Anybody know? Do, 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 do. Huh? It's about think. Yeah, it's thinking. It's a special kind of thinking. It actually is an old word. We, we don't think about it. We say it's sophomoric. Or, and, it, and there's connections to if it's sophisticated, sophist. And then the sophists, the, the philosophers who are sophists. But it actually goes back, in one sense, the way we use it in English comes from Cambridge University. They were the first ones to introduce into the academic uh, institution, the categorization of sophomores. In 1590, they introduced this idea of freshmen. First year, uh, these were the newcomers or the novice, the tenderfoots, the greenhorns, the, the guys who are the blank tabula rasa. They don't know anything, so they have to, they're, they're novices. 1590, so it was 400, <clears throat> over 400 years ago. And then 1650 came the introduction to sophomore. And the word soft has two Greek words combined. Soft, meaning wisdom, or love of wisdom, and moros, where we get the word moron. And so it means a wise fool. It means somebody who doesn't know what they're supposed to know, but they think they know, and so it's a bit of a soft. They're not developed yet, and they're kind of partially baked, 
They're not put together. They're still in the process. But the sophos means wise. But now you bring them together, uh, it means, literally, the word means to argue. And so you get somebody who thinks they know something, then they start arguing about what they think they know, and then they get into this conflict, which is part of the sophomore, second-year student. It's a wise moron. It's a wise fool. It's an interesting, but it's a second year study, so they haven't, they still got some time to develop. It's an interesting. Then the junior, the junior is always a comparison thing. There's, it's always in reference to somebody knows more than I do, or somebody's a senior and then I'm a junior. It's the apprentice model. It's the disciple model. But the, the idea that you're a junior, they were also called junior softs. So they're still in the soft stage, but they're a little bit advanced from the moron idiot over here, but he's moving up the ladder because he's focused on the next higher senior. So he's, uh, the seniors were called the sophister, or the older, and they were used in the fourth year. Well, all that's interesting, because where does that come from? Well, you know, it comes from Greece. And that's right where we are, back in the city of Athens, and this guy named Sophocles, and those who wrote the tragedies, and it means there's a love of wisdom. And so you're pursuing, you're pursuing knowledge, you're pursuing insight, but you become, once you get it, become sophisticated. And that's where that word comes. But it's a master of one's craft. And so you have this, this expertise, this nuance, this, this training, this seasoning, that you become a wise expert. Now, the interesting thing as you get into this passage is it's where Paul starts with the Corinthians because Paul understands people. Paul understands God in a way that the freshman doesn't, the sophomore doesn't, the junior doesn't. And moving into senior, he, he's in the master's, he's in the doctor. He's, Paul knows the gospel because he was set free. But there's lots of lessons for us from Paul. And so I again would invite you to think that you sit under Paul's teaching in the book of Corinthians and you take this as though you were in Paul's living room teaching you how to follow Christ. Because we are disciples of the Spirit. Well, Paul was discipling and he was building the Corinthians just like he did with all the other Gentile churches that God called him to. But he was doing it life on life, one by one, and he was trying to help individuals develop their understanding of who Christ was. Remember, they're pagans. They're, they're coming from a different set of backgrounds. But he not only was doing that one by one, he was doing it corporately because Paul's understanding is you cannot be a silo Christian. You can't believe in God and not be in the church. I... I I don't believe in institutional religion. I don't need that, that structured church. Yes, you do. <laughs> but the idiot sophomore saint says, I don't need the church. And so in their foolishness, they lock themselves out of this growth that the Spirit of God says, there's something that's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. But you're sophomores. You don't know what that is. And therefore... As Jesus would say in Luke 6, 40, a student is not above his teacher, but every sophomore 
or freshman or junior, after he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And therefore, it is so important that we stop and think about the leaders, which is one of the issues in the church at Corinth and one of the issues today, because it's the leaders that we're following. And the same issue in the Corinthians is taking place today because you're following your leader and you will become like your leader. The input that you have, like the input that they had, was being influenced by their background. And the leaders, it's still going on. The same issues. Will there be war because of this conflict of two cultures? Will there be an understanding because people are in tribal mode and they're in conflict mode? They're, the same issue is taking place when you have people saying, disrupt the government. Plug up, plug up the highways. You, uh, you don't understand. We're, we've got a right to overthrow. We have a right to, to do these. Listen to your leaders. Listen to your sophomore leaders. The same problem was going on. But here in the church, remember what Paul said to Titus? Since an overseer, since a leader, since one who's going to be influencing people for my kingdom... The standard by which you're measuring and you're judging other leaders will be measured to you, Jesus said. But he said this. He said, an overseer, a leader, manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not pugnacious. That's the other word. It's the fighting, the boxing term. Not pugnacious. That's King James. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. And yet so often, that spirit that we understand comes right back to that Soph Sophocles arguing spirit that they grew up with in Corinth. Well, as you get into this book, you'll find that Paul is trying to disciple people so that they come back to Christ. And that they learn from Christ. Now let me give you uh, and, and you may want to throw a shoe at me because I'm reducing it or I'm not doing big enough because there's so much in here. But what I want to give you, the, the backstory that what Paul is trying to do to help you understand and move through the foolish stage into the wise stage, there are five areas that I'm just going to categorize for us. But the five areas that Paul says... You have to understand, Corinthians, the culture from which you come from. You have to understand your family background, who, who your mom and dad were <clears throat> and how they influenced you. If they went to church, they didn't go to church. Some parents dropped their kids off at of church and they never go to church. And so you're picking up messages from parents, from grandparents. But for Paul, he says, your background's going to influence your thinking. And then he says, not only that, but... Are you teachable? And we get into issues about the Corinthians. They weren't teachable. They were sophomoric. They were arguing. They thought they knew, and therefore they weren't open. And they'll see this tension all the way through the book. But these, these have to go back to what they were understanding about what the gospel meant. Why did Jesus do that? 
And, and what does the resurrection mean? And what does it mean to be baptized in Christ? And what does it mean to grow? Well, all these gospel convictions, can you really believe this among a, a marketplace of ideas? And the last, or next thing Paul is introducing to these Greeks, political, competitive, argumentative Greeks, a concept that would radically change everything. And that's called grace. I think grace, for me, is one of the hardest concepts to really embrace. Grace means you accept the unacceptable. Grace means it's unconditional love. Somebody offends you, you graciously accept that person even though they've offended you. Well, that's not the typical way. But for Paul to introduce this concept of grace as the kingdom banner that would distinguish the church, where there's a lot of work to be done there. But the last thing I want to hinge this on is all of these issues and others are rooted in one fundamental theme that Paul is getting at. And the same question is the same question you have to wrestle with and I have to wrestle with is what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to have a Christian spirit? What does it mean to be, quote, religious or to be churchy? Or No, no. It's what does it mean to have the spirit of Christ live in you? Well, the sophomores had an answer. And the, and the Galatians had an answer. And the Thessalonians had an answer. But Paul is trying to develop this question because all of these themes really depend upon how you perceive and respond to this particular issue. But when you get to Corinthians, we're in the middle of a group of people who are trying to figure out what this means in a pagan world. So how does a Christian live in a pagan world and have the Christian spirit Well, these guys had lots of problems because they were sophomores in the Spirit. There are ten issues in particular, ten behavioral issues. uh, Particular two jump out immediately, and it was sexuality. It still is the big issue. But you're sophomore and you're thinking about sexuality, which Paul will get into, which we will get into. The second is idolatry. When you think about false worship and you think about lust and false worship, these things are really, really rooted in this pagan culture and they're bringing them into the church. There are 10 issues that are, that are revolved around these things, but it's rooted in one theological problem and that was about the resurrection. And so Paul talks about that. There are lots of things in this passage, but the presenting problem, and here's what you have to understand about the context. Remember, Paul started the church in Acts 18. He was there in in Corinth for a year and a half, discipling, teaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he would go to these pagans, and the question I asked last week is, why give up my Poseidon worship? Why do I give up my my worship of Athena? Why do I have to give up my religion to follow your religion? And Paul says, you're following an, an idol. And we know there are no idols, 
because they're man-made structures. They're, they're, they have eyes, but they don't see, and they have ears, they don't hear. And if you make these, you'll become like those mute, blind idols. And so Paul was saying to the, to the Corinthians that there is a reason why you should leave what you're thinking because it's not true. The living God has promised to send his son and by understanding this promise that you understand that God who made you, God who wants you, God who's pursuing you, God's calling you, you don't hear him because your spirit is dead. But by introducing Christ to the Corinthians, Paul, I walked around a Walmart uh, and, and I was thinking, all these people in Walmart. I was thinking, well, Paul was walking around the market. He was a man among multitude of pagans. And he thought, they don't know Christ. They don't care about Christ. But Paul knew God was doing something in this group. And he opened a new life for this Corinthian church and introduced them to faith, hope, and love of Christ. In doing so, in doing so, Paul would say, you have to understand that Jesus came and died and he's left and he's sending the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul started the church a year and a half and then he left. He went to Ephesus. He was over in Ephesus for two years. Now, what you may not know is there, there are four letters to the Corinthians. We only have two. Paul was in Ephesus. And what you have <clears throat> is uh, Paul was... Three years before he wrote this letter, there was correspondence back uh, between Corinth and Paul. But Paul was gone. Now, remember, these are sophomore baby Christians out of a pagan background. And therefore, they're different. Their needs are different. But a group of people go over to Ephesus and they meet with Paul. And Paul says this. My brothers and sisters, in response to their questions... My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me. My how gossip gets around. You know what's going over in Corinth? Let me tell you what they're doing there, Paul. They're just complaining, complaining, complaining. They think this person is no good. This pastor is not a good teacher. He, this guy, is, he's, he's off base. He doesn't really understand. This guy's got the Holy Spirit. There's conflict in the church. There are quarrels, uh, real deep divisions going on. So much so, it still happens. When you have personality cults and you have tribal mindsets and social cliques, that, that this is undermining the whole message of the gospel. Paul says, this isn't the spirit of God. I have a friend who was kicked out of the church. A pastor who is kicked out of the church because one church member said he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. I thought, man, couldn't believe that. Paul said, I've heard from you. It's actually reported. I've heard that you guys go to the extreme that there's actually incest going on. Good night, Paul says. There's this kind that doesn't even the pagans. I mean, you're worse than the pagans. The word's gotten back to me, and if it's getting back to me, it's getting out to all of Corinth. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 11, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as the church, 
There are divisions. There are divisions. And so Paul has to address not just the divisions, because underneath the divisions and underneath the sexual immorality and underneath all of these difficulties is this idea of what God is trying to do. And these sophomores have no clue of what God is trying to do, but Paul does. Now, for the matters you wrote about, here's this correspondence. Paul wants to give the biblical answers. And I think, brothers and sisters, we as the church should be wide open to every question so that God can answer every question. We have to have that attitude. But there are, particulars, there are particular issues that really were uh, key because what Jesus taught his disciples to do, the Corinthians weren't doing. Remember the passage that Terry read? It says, judge not lest you be judged. Because you're judging these people and you're not even judging yourself. You're not pulling the things out of your eyes because you can't see clearly enough because you're sophomores. And so they weren't taking personal responsibility for the development of their own personal growth in relationship with Christ. And therefore, Paul takes up the issues and engages them with the issues in order to speak to them so that the whole body would grow up and they would encourage. And so as you get into this section, as we open this, this passage, Paul says the problem is not uh, just the leaders. You guys are quarreling. That's not the problem. That's a symptom of the greater problem. But there is a problem. And as Paul is saying to them, he's going to get into this first section in Corinthians. And so I want you to, I want you to know this, that uh, when you come to this passage of 1 Corinthians, you have to take chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 as one unit. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are going to set the whole tone for the rest of the two books because he's going to get into the issue of how do you make a fool, a wise fool, <laughs> into a spirit-led, wise, mature person. And that's the issue. The problem isn't due to the leaders. The problem isn't due to the leader. The problem isn't due to the cultural baggage that they're bringing in. You see, they had divided Christ because that's the way they thought about relationships. But Paul would say, I want to appeal to you. The way you're thinking, I don't want you to think this way, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you all agree. I want you to agree. They don't agree. They're arguing. He says, I want you to agree with one another in what you say, and there will be no division. So he hits it right off. But he says, he goes on, I want you to be perfectly united. You've got to be kidding me. Get the Democrats and the Republicans and the Independents together in the, in the world. That's a miracle, but not in the church. The church is the miracle that we would be in agreement. We would have that unity. Well, let me go back and tell you something. The issue is that spirituality. Because the problem with the Corinthians is not just the Corinthian problem. It's a problem, it's a human problem. It goes back to Genesis. 
You remember the story of Abraham and, and getting called out and he has to take his nephew Lot. Lot and uh, Abraham, they, they're shepherds and they come to a conflict where they're going to split. So Abraham says, okay, nephew, choose where you want to go. Lot chooses to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Chooses the areas where the grass is greener. But Abraham has to go and rescue Lot because four kings come in, destroy the country, and take him captive. And now Lot is in danger, a lot of danger, because, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked place. The problem is, when Abraham comes to Lot, it, it took some convincing of him to go. It always takes us convincing, because if you're resisting you know, I'm, I've got my place here. Why should I move to, you know? But Abraham was warning, protecting him. But that's the problem. When you have an independent, resistant, stubborn, sophomoric spirit, something has to happen in order for that change to take place. And here's what happens. God has to break a man. God has to break that independent spirit. He did so with Moses. Remember, Moses was so strong that he thought he would do God's will, and he took that staff and broke, uh, hit, struck the rock when God says, don't do it. When we think that we do what we do because it's the way God does it, and we're sophomores, we cause damage. But every time in Scripture when you see a strong personality, God has to break that person because God will not use an independent, arrogant pushy, bully, dominating, heavy-handed leader. And the notion of leadership for Paul was a servant leadership, unheard of in Greece. Oswald Chambers says, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. He touched Jacob, and Jacob walked with a limp. As you go through this, James and John, uh, they were... Sons of thunder, they got angry. There, was, there were issues that had to be addressed. And this issue is called spiritual warfare. And it's the warfare that goes on inside of every one of us. It's the flesh versus the spirit. And God says, I am going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. I don't want the wisdom of the flesh. I don't want the human research to think that that they are smarter than the Holy Spirit. So God says, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to lay it aside. And the intelligence of the intelligence, oh, Greek sophomore, I will frustrate. Because there is conflict. Now, this is true. Because when you have your spirit in conflict with God, God moves. You see it all the time. Remember Peter, a disciple of Christ? Jesus is going to the cross and Peter takes up that sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Why did he do that? And Jesus says, put that sword away. Peter operating out of the flesh. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Peter says, well, you're the son of God. And, and, and Jesus said, the Holy Spirit has revealed this. You know, you, you have had this revelation. You're right. And on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And then immediately, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And they're going to crucify me. Peter says, no way, no way. 
and in a moment he switches. That's what the flesh does. You heard it this way. Martha, Martha. Jesus is in the home. Martha thinks, oh, I've got to get everything ready for Jesus. Got to pre- He's the bread of life. He multiplied the bread. She's thinking, oh, I've got to do it. And he said, Martha, you don't understand. You really don't understand. There's only one thing necessary. And Mary has chosen it. She's sitting at my feet listening. Paul understood that people needed humility to grow in the grace of the Spirit. Paul understood that the Corinthians did not understand what the Christian spirituality was all about. And therefore, he would say, I would appeal to you that you call upon the Spirit and you be in agreement. The idea that you would be humbled, teachable, have a gospel-centered, biblically-rooted understanding that grace is going to be involved in every situation, in every relationship, means you have to be teachable and humble. Let me go through a couple passages real quick because the passages that I'm reading in the Scripture say God is not going to work here in this way if somebody's going to be arrogant and foolish. The Lord is exalted. He looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Those who are proud stand off at a distance. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And God says, I hate pride. you got to underline that one. God does not like proud men. He will never bless a proud man. If a man gets successful when he's proud, it's because of human effort and it makes him boast in his own success. Not the Spirit of God. I hate pride and I hate arrogance because it leads to evil behavior and perverse speech. But he says he gives more grace. But it says, make no mistake, God is opposed to the proud, but he goes, shows grace or favor to the humble. In the same way, you who are younger, sophomores, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. This is all the way through the scripture. But he gives favor, grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand that he may lift you in due time. Why? Because pride brings a person low. But the lowly in spirit gain honor. He who seeks his life loses it. He who loses his life gains it. It's better to be lowly in spirit, dependent, trusting, confident in the spirit, rather than proud, arrogant, confidence in the flesh. But with the oppressed, than to share the plunder with the proud. Well, you'll see that God is working in the Corinthians. God is going to confirm that work. And Paul is going to say from chapters 1 to chapter 4, it's going to be an understanding of how you walk and learn from the Holy Spirit. That's the core of the Corinthians misunderstanding because they're substituting it with other cultural issues, personality issues, arrogant issues, but they're sophomores and they're undeveloped. 
unlike the Galatians who had the Judaizers coming in and saying, you should go back to the law. Unlike the Colossians who had this mystical people coming in and says, we need to be mystical and have this earth worship. And the Corinthians didn't have the outside problems. The problems weren't with the leaders. The problem was with their following attitude. They couldn't follow. They couldn't trust people. And therefore, if you don't have trust and humility and love, everything is a chaos, which is where Paul starts with the Corinthians. Do you see why I love this book? This is the American book. It's for us because there's lessons for us. When Paul would say at the end, we have not received the spirit of the world, but we have the spirit who is from God so that we might understand and graduate and grow in the Holy Spirit. To understand what God has freely given to us and knowing that we do not want to repeat our sophomore years, but we want to graduate with Christ's wisdom. Hang on, because there's so much in this book that if you stay with me and follow what Christ is saying, this year you will mature in ways that you haven't matured before. And God will be teaching you things so that you will participate. Well, the next three weeks or so, we're going to look at chapters 1 through 4. So read there and ask God to disciple you. There's some wonderful things. So that that found a blessing, we pray that he would come and tune our hearts to sing his praise. Let's close with a prayer. Lord, take these words, make them a reality. Help us learn how to walk in the fullness of your spirit in such a way that we don't lose ourselves in our own pride, but we would humble ourselves and you would give us grace. Lord, build your church and pass on this good message to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. For your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen. Amen.